Hello and welcome to the Women's Agenda podcast. My name is Angela Priestley and I am here with... Me, Tala. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tala Lambert, the Editor-in-Chief on Women's Agenda. <laughs> and on the agenda today, uh, how do you make a workplace family friendly? We'll try and have a go at that. Also, a look at the fall in women's workforce participation rate, why it has happened, what's going on there. A little bit across state politics as well. And of course, some awesome wins for women. Thank you for listening. So Tyler, I did just leave the room briefly and I gave you a little reminder about a win for women. Yes. And then we didn't discuss it coming in. I've got a good one. Do you have? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, you you carry on with yours first. Oh, so. me. Okay. Yeah. I will. Well, my win today is uh, Linda Zhang. Linda is the chief engineer at Ford who is behind the launch of the F-150 electric truck mm. in the United States. Pretty That's cool. cool. It's fully electric. It can tow 10 double-decker rail cars. It can power a house for three days following an outage. It's kind of a game changer in the electric vehicle market. And Are President you going to buy one? Joe, no, I want a Tesla. Um, <laughs> President Joe Biden took a drive and took uh, journalists, well, he told journalists rather that he would buy one. So I don't think I'm really in the market of being able to afford the Ford <laughs> F-150 electric truck just as I'm not in the market to uh, go out and buy myself a nice new Tesla <laughs> one day. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I weighed up buying a Mars bar just before, so <laughs> that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, what's awesome about Linda is uh, a lot in her backstory, not only being a woman in a heavily dominated industry of you know engineering, car manufacturing, uh, but also that she has created this really strong and diverse team. She arrived in America and at the age of eight, having never ridden in a car and had her opportunity to ride in a car at that point and was absolutely fascinated in the idea of working with cars. And so she started at Ford at 19 and she's basically been there ever since, has started this career, excelled in this career, um, has two kids as well. Just amazing. And she, I just love, she's just, I mean, that's innovation. And I couldn't help but notice the stark contrast in what Linda is doing and the fact that she got on stage and got to announce this really exciting electric truck to a load of fanfare over in this you know big flashy event as they do with cars when they unveil new cars she got to take the lead on launching it and well, not to take a dig at our own government again particularly on its climate credentials we would never lack of interest in electric vehicles but <laughs> i couldn't help but think about her un big kind of unveiling last week compared with that which came from Prime Minister Scott Morrison when he announced plans for a $600 million investment in a gas-fired plant, an investment that makes no uh, economic sense. It certainly makes no environmental sense. In fact, the word on the street is that we shouldn't actually be investing in any coal mm. or gas or anything, anything yeah. <laughs> over from here on that we actually need to move onwards. So... Yeah, I just thought that was two very different Moving things. Moving onwards. I'm not sure that's something that our government can really do. Yeah, I know. And it's not the best choice of words, I guess. But <laughs> kind of determined to keep us stuck in the past when mm. it comes to anything that we're doing on climate action. And we'll remember that it was Scott Morrison as well who said that you know, this, the idea of pushing for electric vehicles would ruin the weekends of mm. Australians. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. Yeah. Look, I'm get I one don't of those know. trucks and use to power my house. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if um if you know real progress on climate change is ever going to be this government stick but let's let's you know let's hold out hope um my win this week is not so much a win but more uh gratitude for certain women in um australia's parliament and especially off the back of what we were just talking about um i want to particularly note um labor spokesperson for foreign affairs penny wong who four days ago um came out uh firing at scott morrison and the coalition government about its unnecessary war rhetoric um, to score domestic political points um, against China. And I think, look, I do think that's a highly volatile situation. Um, I completely agree with with Penny Wong on that. Um, I just do not think that speaking about things and trying to egg on um, this very kind of precarious situation is a smart move uh, and I'm not really quite sure what's going on there but I am thankful that we have you know really strong um, powerful women like this in parliament uh, that are kind of staking a different claim and um, and making sure that you know, it's known that that this isn't a ubiquitous Australian position um, because I think we need to be really careful uh, about what we do. As a as another little win for women, um, Dr. Bridie O'Donnell also uh, was appointed to the Collingwood Board um, last week, which I think is really momentous, especially what Collingwood has been up against with the fallout from the Eddie Maguire saga um, and um, you know all of the the racism allegations that have plagued that club for so long so I think it's a really uh, important appointment there she's a former cycling champion um, and she is also a medical doctor so she has really strong nous Um, she knows I'm sure she'll she'll do amazing things for that club so really exciting uh, on that front too. Yeah great wins Um, I just wanted to stop on the Penny Wong comment she did give a really good speech so we've got that story on our website, which you can go and find. You can see her quotes. And again, we pushed quite a few of those across uh, social media just to highlight what she was saying there because it was quite quite strong and powerful. And we haven't really seen much of that kind of in reaction to uh, this sort of very male-dominated era of like declaring that the drums of war are beating at the moment. Yeah. We've heard a bit of this rhetoric over the past few weeks and it really fails to consider... Um, I think, you know, it, it can be very poetic to talk about drums of war beating and mm. about our fallen soldiers of the past and what we need to do to respect those these heroes and things like that and this idea that we're armed and ready for war as the head of Home it's Affairs It's such a said. dude response. Like, <laughs> it is the most blokey response you could ever get and um, I just don't think that it serves a purpose. It doesn't – it's not constructive. It's It's – potentially really dangerous and um i just i i i'm so grateful that we just yeah have other people in there that are, are kind of condemning that kind of language i just yeah, don't think again, it has a place in modern yeah. australia and i also just think like if you're going to say that language you also need to take in um the consideration of, of what happens in these conflicts and who is impacted and how women and children are impacted and what the long-term ramifications are and we can you know merely look to afghanistan and see that and mm-hmm. see 
what's even happened in the past few weeks in Afghanistan with um, the attack on a girls' school. I mean, think about you know, that's with troops withdrawing from Afghanistan and we've seen and we've, we've published pieces on this as well about how organisations on the ground are saying, please don't, you know, there's been some wins and some gains for women through all of this, but it is very, very, very precarious and we, have, we can't risk those gains uh, with this now withdrawal given everything we've gone through in this very very long-running conflict so yeah we also want to just look at the fall in women's workforce participation so last week there was much fanfare and celebration that the unemployment rate had fallen to 5.5 percent in australia so go us global pandemic australia is killing it on the jobs front but looking into this, and we saw some really great analysis from the Australia Institute on this, is mm-hmm. that you can see uh, very clear problems in the figures. Firstly, with how unemployment is actually calculated, which can be quite problematic in itself, but also that there's actually been a 0.5% drop in the female workforce participa- participation rate with 54,000 women leaving the workforce in April compared Mm. with 10,000 men who Mm. left during that time. So this is huge. It is significant and it really does highlight the fact that when (laughs) you give stimulus to male-dominated industries like construction, which is what we saw during the 2020 budget season um, and during some of the clear announcements that were made during that pandemic, you know, the crux of the pandemic period last year, is that this is what happens. So mm. what we see is that women are leaving the workforce. They're likely giving up looking for work if they can't find opportunities within their industry or their sector um, at a much higher and faster rate, What almost five times the rate of mm-hmm. men. Yep. This is depressing. And let's also look at the fact that the female workforce participation rate is something that the uh, coalition under. government has already – yeah, it's already – dire in itself but the coalition government has always looked at as a measure of its success Mm. but it's going backwards here it's meant to be moving upwards definitely not backwards so yeah yeah i mean look it's it's a pretty dire kind of statistic really and um one that the treasurer you know very obviously skirted over during his budget um budget speech a couple of weeks ago so yeah, we, we do need to do a lot more there. Yeah. So, so that figure is I – mean, often it comes down to people who are not looking for work anymore. So if you're not looking for work anymore, you don't actually get counted as being unemployed. So it, this is what it's highlighting, is that people are giving up looking for work. And the other thing that I think is interesting here is that this is in a country where, you know, our kids are back at school, where we're told we do have access to childcare facilities and that kind of thing, although, you know, you know mm. many of us can't afford it. But, you know, you think about how different it would be if we were in a situation where, you know, lockdowns were still um, happening to the point of, yeah. you know, having to be fully at home and have your, your children there and everything, then even more women, you'd guess, would not be looking for work at this time. So it's yeah. pretty dire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, that situation is still precarious. Like, Mm. our vaccine rollout is not at all underway in the way that it needs to be in this country. Mm. So, you know, we are still in a highly kind of, yeah, highly kind of um, uncertain period with the pandemic and that could heighten um, these statistics further, as you said. So uh, I think it's something that the government needs to address pretty quickly. I'm not entirely sure you know, what the the best mode of them doing that is. Like, I think 
probably huge investments in the industries that are um, dominated by women and, and certainly, you know, we, we need to see higher investments in care industries and mm-hmm. um, and in, in you know, other, other industries where women um, make up a huge percentage of that, those workforces. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's pretty startling. Immediate investments as well that need to happen now as opposed to not in a year's time, it needs to happen now and that... Investments that really go to support women working in those industries because mm. that ultimately supports all of us. I mean, you can't really go too wrong s- investing in care. Yeah. And, I mean, Matt Grudnoff, who the senior economist at the Australian Institute, said that many women were deciding to give up looking for work, um, but that is likely because they're not finding work readily um, either. Mm. So I think that's a – yeah. The fact that our employment rate is higher um, than expected is is great, of course, but this is a huge kind of caveat yeah, to that. That we can't ignore. Like no. it needs to be noticed and um, people need to make a bit of a song and dance and a big deal out of this and keep it high on the agenda. And in saying that, I might look to Victoria, which just unveiled its state budget last week, where they have actually uh, – the, the Andrews government there has announced – funding into a a gender responsive budgeting unit that will form Mm. part of treasury so any policy they can actually analyze and see how it will impact men and women differently Mm. if we had this last year i mean it's kind of obvious that this is what happens when you invest all in male dominated sectors (laughs) but if we had this last year we could have maybe had a little bit more foresight into into what happens with some of these policies if we had that federally mm. we don't we're unlikely to get anything like that federally uh, in, under the, the current government but it is happening in victoria and it is being seen as quite a significant national game changer yeah as well yeah you have to wonder whether or not this government wants that kind of foresight though i think that's what it boils down to yes okay speaking of state politics Yes. I know, Tali, you did want to just touch on the by-election that happened in New South Wales over the weekend, the one that may have had something to do with that $600 million investment into the gas-fired plant that will occur in the Hunter region, which, again, mm. makes no economic or environmental sense, but yet mm. all of us taxpayers will be paying for. But it was very uh, nice timing yeah. to announce something like that. But take us through what happened with Labor. Well, Labor's kind of left reeling really after the by-election loss Mm. over the weekend and um, it's been a particularly bitter pill to swallow, I'm sure, for um, New South Wales leader Jodie McKay. Um, They came down to just 21% of the primary vote uh, and it had depleted from, I think, around 29%. Um, So... It was, yeah, it was kind of described as devastating, um, a devastating loss for Labor. Uh, Jodie McKay kind of, um, you know, she she suggested that herself. Um, and independents, including Kirstie O'Connell, who was backed by former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull um, and One Nation picked up um, a lot of, of Labor's votes. Um, so... Mm. It, it's a it's an interesting situation for New South Wales Labor, but this morning the media or mainstream media were speculating about who would take over the Labor leadership if there's to be a spill. Now there hasn't been one announced yet. Jodie McKay has has kind of um, been very definite that she is staying in place, but there is speculation that she may be kind of forced out. Um, 
But the four candidates that have been touted as, um, you know, tipped to take over the leadership include Chris Minns, uh, former leader Michael Daly, who's already had a bite of the cherry, uh, Shadow Health Minister Mar- uh, Ryan Park and Shadow Natural Resources Paul Scully. So they're all men. Mm-hmm. They're all middle-aged. <laughs> They've all somebody and, who's already had a go at it. And as they're well. all and, yeah. of a certain colour. Um, so yes, it's not a particularly diverse lineup. Sure, I'm I'm just questioning why when there are a number of you know highly qualified and capable women in New South Wales New South Wales labour ranks, um, including um, Yasmin Catley, including. Um, Joe Halen, Prue Carr, Kate Washington. There are a number of women there that are, have kind of proven their their kind of um, their worth over a long period of time, and and would be considered excellent candidates. Just aren't getting any airtime or uh, any consideration over them being potential candidates. And I would think that surely in the political climate that we're in right now, that Labor wouldn't wouldn't um, you know, cast that aside. I think it's super important mm. if Jodie McKay is to leave that we look to another strong woman to, woman to take that that position over. Well, at least it, there's someone in the mix. Yeah. Yeah. And I- is it just media speculation determining the four people who are in the mix or is that – I think I mean, so. Look, there hasn't been – yeah, line. there haven't been con- like confirmations given um, from the Labor Party but you have to assume – that um, you know, mainstream media is is getting that kind of notification from somewhere. So we will wait and see. But I would hope that uh, yeah, we can see some some women in the mix, given that they they have no shortage of really capable women to do so. Yeah, yeah. And I think the interesting thing in New South Wales is that you do have a female premier and we have – well, we do currently still have a female opposition leader as well, which is pretty unusual. That might be the first time Mm. that's happened anywhere in Australia. Yeah. Say yes to that. Um, I noticed that uh, Gladys Berejiklian actually made the point today that she feels for Jodie Mackay, which um, is nice to see, I guess, that um, she feels sorry that she made the point that state politics is absolutely brutal, which – is again something that we've heard a lot of over the years from from different involved women involved particularly in new south wales state politics yeah yes okay so speaking of brutal uh (laughs) let's talk about family-friendly workplaces (laughs) um we did see the launch this week of um, an initiative from parents at work and unicef uh, regarding family-friendly workplaces so basically an initiative where a number of Already a number of key large employers have signed on to kind of get themselves certified as family friendly and to highlight and promote their activities as family friendly as well. So we have, uh, full disclosure, I guess we have uh, partnered, we are running a partnership with Parents at Work and UNICEF on this at the moment and I am running a series of conversations with different leaders involved about um, how they make their own leadership family friendly and also how they're making their workplaces family-friendly, um, which is actually really interesting and good to see, particularly in this post-pandemic period where mm. everything kind of got rewritten, but at the same time we need to manage a lot of risk um, in the sense that it's not just a matter of people working hybrid weeks, you know, you come into the office a couple of days and then work the rest of the time from home. Everything kind of needs to change if we're going to make this push into 
living this kind of new world of work where you're not necessarily at your desk Monday to Friday if we're going to be doing this permanently um, well into the future. And also to consider people who don't have the option ever to work remotely or from home, which is what we see with a number of... Um, if, if you're in frontline services, if you're in care, obviously these are positions where you need to go and, and, and be doing the care. So mm. how we can look at making those workplaces more family-friendly and more flexible when the opportunity to work remotely or, or work from home isn't actually available. So what makes a family-friendly workplace? Well, I would say that our workplace is pretty family-friendly given... <laughs> You know, we both run this business and we both have kids and yeah. various alternating schedules yeah. because of that. It doesn't that. feel very family friendly, I have to say. But I think that's just the being in business part of it when it's just yeah. like, wow, this is just exhausting like all the time. But yeah, yeah, there are benefits in that you can have some flexibility around meetings. Um, you've got a sick child today. I've um, got a kid requiring a number of different medical appointments at the moment. So yeah, that we can, yeah. So I think, I mean, I think personally being a mum of a toddler, uh, you know, what's what's meaningful for me is definitely flexibility. Um, but if I was working for a big employer as well, I would really love to see things like, you know, on-site um, childcare or creches set up. I think that that's hugely beneficial. I think um, looking at, you know, extensions in paid parental leave where that um, those... Uh, terms are offered to both men and women Um, and I think you know there are a number of different things that employers can always be keeping on the lookout to do and just making sure that they're trying to be as inclusive as possible because it makes good economic sense right if you look after your workforce at this point in their careers they're going to come back and they're going to be you're going to be able to retain them which is hugely beneficial so Mm. yeah I would just say you know, n- never kind of making anyone feel um, strung out because of their requirements as a parent as well and, and just being really mindful for, to that. But I'd be interested to see kind of what comes out of these discussions with parents at work and um, all of the employers that are signed on there. Yeah, yeah. So so it is different things. But one thing that we've – like obviously paid parental leave is a big piece and that's an opportunity. That there's easy wins there in terms of removing uh, gender – aligned things to that removing primary and secondary care i spoke to the ceo of ing and she's like why do we say primary carer yeah. it's like you, you it's so offensive to say that yeah, someone's so weird. Prim- oh you're secondary like yeah your parents so <laughs> you know that i thought that was really interesting and that is a company that has actually removed those labels and so um primary second anyone who becomes a new parent there you get the same amount of paid parental leave yeah. as anyone else and they really encourage you to take it as well so that, that is one key thing. Obviously, the childcare piece is another part of it. But all of this, um, flexible working is clearly essential. All of it, um, I, I kind of, I mean, I feel like you can have all the best policies and everything in place and, you know, it looks great on paper and you can use it to drive recruitment. But it's absolutely meaningless if you've got managers who don't believe it, accept it. Yeah, who don't believe it, who don't accept it who continue to make snarky comments about somebody needing to leave early or who puts pressure on staff if they can't be in the office at the right time, who so doesn't make allowances yeah. for things. Yeah, we need to move beyond box-ticking exercises when it comes to this. Like, yeah, it has to be ingrained it. in the culture. And to see that like even the smallest comments can completely undo mm. your fabulous family-friendly culture that you've created and that could be... 
the end for somebody working there, they might think I want to go and do something else now because I actually don't feel supported. The other thing with this initiative here is that because it's got the partnership of UNICEF, it's trying to put children first, which is a bit of a different way to look at it. And it's basically saying that everyone in Australia, every employer, you have a stake in the future of children as well, that it's not just about supporting the parents so that they can look after their kids. Rather, it's also taking an active interest in the welfare of children, particularly at that essential time when caregiving is so important and access to early childhood education is so important as well. So I do like that element of it. Um, but yeah, we'll wait to see. It's great to see that organisations are putting this on paper and kind of putting out there that they are family friendly because mm -hmm. that also opens themselves up to criticism and for people to say, well, you know, I worked there and I didn't find you're particularly family friendly. I haven't actually come across that yet, but putting out there that as soon as obviously you, you, you're saying this, that it you've does got to put it on record. Yeah, you've got to put your money where your mouth is. Yeah, 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 exactly. So we'll see. One little thing I noticed at the Commonwealth Bank, when because that was where the launch of this event was last time and CBA are a partner on this, is that they did make this mention of the fact that they have in their beautiful new building, it was really beautiful in Sydney, it's this kind of open space atrium situation which looks great, but they are offering, you know, heavily subsidised meals that you can take home for your kids. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I know. I, I would really want that. I would really want that as well. And I, I put that out there on Twitter and I had, you know, some comments saying, well, isn't this just a ploy to keep people in the office longer? No. And I, I know where that's coming from because I've seen that particularly in certain large tech companies where you see that a lot the free lunches thing yeah. or you see they but put the free lunches for your baby is just so much better well it implies like, that you're kind there's of nothing i hate with more the there's nothing i hate more than getting home and trying to work out what my toddler will eat yeah it like, is, it is he's a such a little jerk at the moment as well it is very <laughs> tough at that witching hour and yeah you're right so the mental load of what will they eat let alone actually organizing what they'll eat yeah. and trying to cook while you know people are running around going or you've got extracurricular activities that kids are doing it is it is a really tough part of the day for working parents when you're yeah. actually exhausted and you want to sit yeah, back I love and chill that. out for 20 more minutes more employers should look at that that is a game changer <laughs> <laughs> if i do not have to feed my child vegemite toast and blueberries for dinner then you're boy. family friendly <laughs> <Where you go? laughs> Okay, I did actually see, I remember a few years ago we reported on a childcare centre. I don't have it in front of me now, but a <laughs> childcare centre that did introduce like $5 meals. So you could take, you pick your kid up and they'd have, because they've got a chef on site and they prepare meals for lunch, Yeah, they could also prepare things for parents to take home. Yeah, that would dinner. be very good. <sighs> Pity that publicity stunt of theirs isn't getting any proper advertising on this podcast because I can't remember which childcare provider They it might is. not do it anymore. That's the thing. It may not have worked <laughs> business-wise. That's what I'm wondering. I never heard anything more, so maybe it didn't make any <laughs> sense at all. Like that gas fried <laughs> plant. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Women's Agenda podcast. You can access all the stories that we've been discussing and more on womensagenda.com.au. And you can also subscribe to our daily newsletter and get these stories in your inbox just before lunchtime. Thank you for listening.